I'm Larissa, and I want to help you find the best strategy for communicating the magic and wonder of your jewelry brand so you can thrive by doing what you love and filling the world with beauty and creativity. Welcome to the Joy Joya Jewelry Marketing Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Larissa Worstiak. Through this podcast, I am to empower and inspire jewelry entrepreneurs and innovators so they can thrive by doing what they love. I'm passionate about digital marketing for jewelry brands, and I'm excited to share my passion with you. This is episode 111, and today I'm going to be sharing a chat that I had with Jen Cullen-Williams, an award-winning public relations and brand communications specialist for the jewelry industry and luxury brands. It's my first interview of 2021, and it's gonna be a two-parter because I talked to Jen for about an hour and 20 minutes. It was such an excellent conversation and I was really excited about it. So prior to launching her consulting business in 2019, Jen was the managing director for a luxury brand group from 2007 to 2019, where she continues to consult on projects for the agency's jewelry and luxury clients. Her experience in the jewelry industry is multifaceted, and she's had the opportunity to support a wide variety of brands, including both direct-to-consumer and B2B. When it comes to her PR expertise, Jen secured press placements for her clients in leading consumer media outlets like Vogue, Harper's Harper's Bazaar, Elle, Forbes, and others. Are you impressed yet? In this first part of the two-part series, we discuss what makes PR and communication strategy unique from marketing and sales? We also touch upon the tactics that worked well for brands during the 2020 holiday season, and we share some thoughts about effective social media marketing. I really hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it with Jen. But before we get to all that, I wanna share some marketing-related news and insights from the past week that caught my attention. It's not too early to be engaging consumers for Valentine's Day. In fact, you probably should have started last week or even two weeks ago. Advertising at them or sharing your Valentine's Day promotions is simply not enough this year. Instead, you wanna be focused on offering an interactive and fun experience to distinguish yourself from your competitors. The publication Digital Media Solutions recently shared an article about some brands that are attracting attention with their unique digital campaigns. For example, the high-end jewelry retailer Ben Bridge is offering virtual shopping solutions, including virtual appointments and video and live chat options, and Kendra Scott is leveraging their virtual try-on tools. What are you doing to make your customer feel valued this Valentine's Day season? Twitter Business recently shared an official guide for finding your brand voice on Twitter. Most of my clients don't use Twitter, but I think the advice shared in this article could easily apply to any other social media captions, like for those on Facebook or Instagram. I really like how in this article they distinguish between the terms tone and voice. So they say, quote, Tone and voice go hand in hand, but they are slightly different. Put simply, your brand's voice is your brand's personality, whether that's smart, funny, hip, satirical. Your brand's tone, on the other hand, is the application of your brand's voice on certain channels with certain audiences for certain situations, end quote. To hone your voice, you'll want to strive for what they refer to as the three C's. So that's be concise, clear, and conversational. Do you struggle with brand voice? What are some things that you've tried in the past to really hone in on the way that your brand speaks to customers? Finally, Rappaport recently shared an article titled, What to Expect in the Industry This Year? And they tapped three professionals for their insights. One of those professionals, L. Hill, who is the CEO of industry consulting firm Hill and Company, said that consumers will be more conscious about their purchases, buying from companies with values that align with their own. She also mentioned that digital transformation is essential to compete in this marketplace. Jewelers will need to continue pushing the envelope with technology. If you're afraid of tech in your jewelry business, 
try adapting it on a smaller scale, but continue moving forward no matter what, innovating and making changes as you can at a pace that feels comfortable for you. If you become stagnant at any point, then that's Basically, you should call it quits. I'm sorry to say, I mean, you really need to continue evolving in order to keep up in this space. I can't even emphasize how important that is. If you wanna get the links to the articles I share in this segment of the podcast, you can sign up for my email newsletter by visiting joyjoya.com slash sign up, and you'll get a digest with the links whenever a new episode drops. Okay, let's get to the first part of my two-part interview with Jen Cullen-Williams. I hope you enjoy it. So Jen, tell me a little bit about yourself and your really amazing multifaceted experience in the jewelry industry and how it got you to this point today. Thanks. Well, first off, thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, I'm excited that we got to connect. And as far as my background, I was a very creative kid and thought I wanted to go into film and ultimately studied it at Cal State Long Beach, but then switched majors to fashion merchandising because a sorority sister said that sounded really fun. And (laughs) right, it was really fun. Um, And I also got a, a minor in business entrepreneurship. And my, I did a few internships in the fashion realm with a, an apparel company and a footwear company. And my last semester that I had to do it for credit for school, I did that at a PR agency. And I really didn't know much about what PR is or what it was. Um, it wasn't the days, there wasn't social media to actually know how, you know, PR functioned, but I immediately kind of fell in love with the opportunity to brand and and share news. So I worked for this um, fashion agency in Hollywood and we had uh, fashion brands, accessory brands, jewelry. It was celebrity product placement and editorial placement and also doing live events. And it was a great experience. And I actually started as an intern. I got hired while I was still in college and had a full-time job leaving college, which is... Uh, no easy feat, but I did it and then kind of quickly realized that it was not something I saw myself in that environment, just based on the culture of the way the agency was being run. And I wanted to also experience other facets of marketing. So I looked on Craigslist because that was the thing at the time to find to job hunt, found an opening for a marketing coordinator position with a small boutique agency that was primarily in the fine jewelry industry. And it's called Luxury Brand Group. And I joined in 2007 and um, I was there for 12 years and I worked with designers, manufacturers, uh, retailers. I worked with... Uh, you know, uh, associations like AGS and GIA and other ones and got to travel and I had really great mentors and I'm still very close with the founder of the agency. And in 2019, I guess I put my degree to use, my entrepreneurship degree, and, um, and I decided to go out on my own as an independent communications consultant. And I still actually consult for my the agency I was with for 12 and a half years. And I also take on my own clients. And really the decision was I wanted to work, continue to work in the jewelry industry, but also wanted to work in other industries. I also wanted to be more flexible and less of an agency environment and much more on a hands-on uh, consulting type of thing where I could fly in, fly out for quick projects, and then also do some longer term projects projects. So that was sort of the decision. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, it's been really fun and it's great because I get to connect with people like you. Absolutely. Your background just sounds really exciting and fun, like a total dream, <laughs> honestly. Like I wish I could say the same thing about my, my story coming into my business. I just, I love, I love that story and working in Hollywood with that PR agency sounds like it was a really cool experience. Yeah. I mean, I remember kind of pitching myself, like pinching myself thinking, oh my gosh, because at the time the, the movie Devil Wears Prada had just come out. And I, I mean, it was, I mean, it wasn't the same, but it was just very, I, I very much identified with the character in that of just in this environment, not knowing what to do and fresh out of college and kind of dealing with all these different personalities. And so 
I remember I, I, there was actually a point where I couldn't even watch the movie because it stressed me out too much. Oh my God. <laughs> but then, you know, now it's, it's a classic for me, but you know, I am really lucky. I got to do some cool things. I've, I've been to all of the big magazine houses and done, you know, editorial events and worked and placed clients in, you know, New York times and Vogue and all these different cool things. But I've also had really tough moments that were really stressful of, oh my gosh, you know, this person didn't show up for the event and the seats open and what are we doing and how to pivot and flexibility. So when everything happened with the pandemic, it was pretty easy to pivot because that's what I've had to do my whole career. So I'm a type A fluid. I'm a fluid type A person. <laughs> yeah, that's excellent. Um, so you mentioned on your website, you kind of pitch yourself as a brand communications and public relations strategist. So I know personally, a lot of people ask me about what marketing means, like how marketing is different from public relations. I think these terms that we're throwing out can be like confusing to people. They don't know how one is different from the other. So can you explain to our listeners, like what does brand communications and public relations strategists mean to you? How is that unique? Yeah, I think I actually think of, so brand communications or corporate communications, I kind of think of it like having a garage and there's an out, outerior or exterior interior. And within the interior of the garage is different vehicles. And those vehicles are the marketing elements. So those marketing elements are going to get you from point A to B they're all different. They're all unique vehicles. They're all priced differently. And there's also experts that can drive those vehicles really efficiently. So SEO or uh, general um, e-blast marketing or PR, those types of things are specialty skills. And I think it's really important that when you're looking at your communications overall, that whoever's driving the vehicles in your garage are licensed and able to get to point A to B safely and efficiently. And um, I think with also just thinking of the interior and exterior, you know, it's brand communications is not just what you say, but it's also what you write and it's also your visuals. So that's how the general public and also internally within a company or an organization, how things are being perceived, how they're written. Um, and it's really important to have consistency in that to identify your brand ethos and your company culture, but also who your customer is and how you can relate to them. And so that's kind of, um, when I position myself as a communication strategist, I think of the big picture of all of these different vehicles, but then I want to work with someone like you who specializes in the digital marketing, because I don't want to be the driver. I'm, I'm very happy to be in the backseat. I'm happy to be in the car. I just don't want to be driving it. And so that's where someone like you would be perfect to come in and take that on. Um, I'm, I can drive the PR side of it where it's working with media, but, um, if it's social media development or something like that, I think it's, it's better to have an expert in that particular area. I love your metaphor of the garage. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> Just heads up. I think it explains it so clearly because there is so much confusion. I mean, I get this question a lot. People, um, often come to me and they, want to know how I can help them with PR because they kind of just assume that PR and marketing are the same thing. And while I totally understand the principles of PR and I could like explain to someone how to do it, I don't have like the hands-on real world experience and the connections to actually like execute that for someone. So it's totally different thing. Absolutely. And with PR, you know, some people get a little confused as, as to what that means. What it means ultimately is you are uh, voicing or telling a story to the media in some capacity. And there's different channels of the way that you can do PR. So it can be traditional where you're launching a news release and that's through a press release or media alert. It could also be product pitching. So if you've got product that could align with a media outlet, you could be featured in their um, product roundup. Then there's also thought leadership. So you could get quoted in business or, or news journals. There's trade PR where you're talking to your particular trade. And so it's your potential customer from a wholesale standpoint is reading that or and overall trade. Then there's consumer PR. And then 
if you layer that in, there's also kind of the influencer space, which is not traditional PR, but that kind of comes into play. So I've sort of seen the evolution of PR where it was strictly just media and agency or media and brand. And now it's kind of the lines have very much been blurred and you you know, a lot of digital marketing people like us, we kind of have to wear a lot of different hats in order to um, accommodate budgets and, and, you know, and to do, to execute on, on the overall communications. But PR is really just trying to get your, your voice out there through media outlets. Definitely. And you had mentioned the influencer marketing, which I think, or just influencer interactions, which I think is probably the most confusing to people because there is so much overlap. Like it could be handled completely by a PR agency, but also a marketing agency could take that on, or maybe it's like a collaborative effort. So there's different ways to approach that. That is very confusing to people in the jewelry space. I absolutely agree. Um, it's the wild west. I mean, it's, it's sort of getting more standardized. There's more digital agencies. I've sort of seen that evolution kind of come into play. I think the thing with working with influencers, um, or even just general PR is it's not typically the only thing you should be doing. Um, it doesn't always drive sales. It really drives more awareness for your brand and credibility. It also gives you content that you can repurpose through your other marketing channels. Um, people think PR means sales and it, it often doesn't. You could get a placement in Real Simple or Oprah Magazine and that doesn't guarantee that you're gonna sell out of that product. Now, sometimes it does, sometimes that does happen, but it doesn't always mean that. But really what you're getting is you're getting that SEO link, you're getting credibility that to say that as seen in Oprah or whatever publication, you're also um, able to then share that on your social channels and that kind of thing, use it in your email marketing, share it on your website. And you've got a lot of, um, I call it PRing the PR. Um, it's not something I coined, but it was something one of my mentors coined and it's true. You know, PRing the PR is a really helpful thing, but I tend to tell clients it's not the end all be all of your marketing strategy. I love everything you said. I don't even know where to start in responding <laughs> to that. Um, one thing that very much struck me was that you said PR is not sales or probably won't be. It's something that I also have to explain constantly with marketing. Marketing is not sales. PR is PR, marketing is marketing, and sales is sales. They all overlap and should be working together harmoniously, but they're kind of very separate processes and they're all necessary. They need to work together and they need to be like in communication with each other for a brand to really be successful. Absolutely. And I also think that there's no blueprint of exactly how to do your marketing. I think it depends on your customer. It, it always starts there. Who are you targeting? How are you reaching them? What is your product? And what is your point of differentiation from there? And I, I know I've, I've listened to your podcast, so I know you're in agreement with me on all of these things, but you have to know who your customer is. It does, you know, I have, I have brands that will approach me about doing their PR and they want to be in New York times in Vogue, but if their customer isn't reading those outlets, then there's no point. They might be better suited targeting. If it's the millennial mom they're they may not be reading New York times because they don't have time, but they might be getting a daily e-blast from a, a newsletter. That's very niche to mom's you know, bloggers or whatever, mom, you know, mom lifestyle. So it's, it really is like, you don't have to be in the biggest outlets. I've had clients that have had way more success being in the niche uh, publications and niche little outlets. And, and that actually drove some conversion and clicks to their site versus big national press. Um, you know, they like the big national press. It's great to, to, to kind of brag about, but it didn't necessarily drive clicks or conversion. And so I think you just have to be strategic and, and know that there's no, no blueprint that everyone follows. There's certain key things that you should be doing, but you have to kind of identify and you got to, it's trial and error too. You've got to try different things, uh, test drive those, those marketing vehicles. <laughs> 
I love this ongoing metaphor. Um, <laughs> totally 100% on board with that philosophy. And I was even joking in my last podcast episode that I should like tattoo, like know your customers on my face because I say it like a broken record. Like it is the foundation of everything. <laughs> uh, it is. And I mean, if they're the people that are buying and sustaining your business. So you have to have your business talking and speaking in the way that they want to be spoken to. And if you're not doing it, you're going to miss potential sales. Definitely. So I would love to focus this episode and Jen helped me brainstorm this. We had this idea that we wanted to talk about what's working in e-commerce now in the jewelry space and also kind of like parallel industries. Um, what are some of the trends that we're seeing and what are the best practices so that you can, you know, stay on top of that and be successful in this year and beyond. So I would love to talk first, the holidays were, you know, right on our heels. We just finished. What were some of the things you were seeing for the holidays? What were people shopping for? How were they shopping? Yeah. So I think in terms of category, jewelry actually performed quite well in holiday shopping. I'll start with how people were shopping. Um, and just overall, and just based on the market data, they were shopping via online. <laughs> it's like straightforward online. They were digital. They were also shopping through virtual appointments. They were shopping through um, social media, like discovery and sourcing, and then actually placing purchases through. And they were doing it on mobile. Um, highly. And all of these numbers have increased. There was brick and mortar shopping, depending on state regulations and things going on with the pandemic. But what I've heard from retailers in the jewelry business were the customers that came in store that set an appointment and they had their structured routine. The ones that came in store were not browsing, they were shopping to buy. So even though foot traffic for a lot of retailers was down this year or this past year by like 40% or more, uh, they, the people that did come in store, they converted. And I think that was kind of a interesting thing. And I think that a lot of jewelers in general are thinking of ways that they can keep their brick and mortar, but make it really efficient for, you know, on-site purchases, especially those bigger orders. Um, I also heard that uh, in the jewelry sector that purchases were higher than normal. So a lot of jewelers have, uh, you know, shared that maybe a customer that would normally spend 5,000 actually spent 10,000 this year on, a, on placing, a, you know, whatever they were purchasing as a gift because they didn't go to Aspen for two weeks. They didn't get a villa in Italy for a week. They didn't take their boat out. You know, there's like all these different factors because they weren't traveling. They weren't doing all the experiential things in, of life and dining out as much as we had been. So that's kind of where the like customer was. Um, they were also shopping, unfortunately, unfortunately, I guess through Amazon, Target, Walmart, um, those companies did exceedingly well in specific categories. Fashion struggled in general because people aren't really going out. People wear sweaters. So that category did well. Athleisure did really well. Home decor and beauty. Um, also, I think like some per like things like candles and um, sort of like lifestyle wellness has done well, depending on the brand. But in the jewelry category, in terms of what is selling is we know classically like diamonds and, um, watches and certain, like certain categories have continued to perform well. They always have engagement rings, but if you were going to break it down into kind of the interesting categories, symbolic jewelry. So things layering charms, things with meaning, um, you know, symbolic to a birthstone or something like that, as well as uh, personalization. So that could be straightforward personalization where you're actually engraving something or having something written, um, or it could be something like having your Zodiac sign, I'm wearing a Zodiac sign, or like I have, um, you know, personalization can be where you it's build your own. And so the, yep. the retailers were, you were building your own or they were selling little stacks of bundles 
did really well. I know there's even in, in the like undergarment industry, there's a brand they, during the pandemic realized that they had their, their bras in all these different colors. And they noticed that people, once they bought one bra, then they would actually go back. They would want the black, white and nude colors. So then they started selling them bundles with a little mini, mini discount, but it was just easier. Cause then it was just one shipping order versus trying to go back like every so often or clicking multiple times. And they did exceedingly well with kind of bundling and stacking and styling. So, you know, I think those are the main takeaways. I don't think this is a news. Like, I think we kind of knew this, but I think when you're thinking about your business, especially if you're e-commerce, really thinking about how you can optimize the uh, shoppability of the site through the way you're merchandising and on your website. Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's true. I think we all kind of knew these things, but it's nice to be reminded of them to hear that this is a reality. Um, I can personally attest to all these things in my own shopping habits, definitely justified some self-purchases because I wasn't going out. I wasn't traveling, definitely got some personalized jewelry, definitely got that athleisure, (laughs) you know, everything you're saying, I'm like, yes, I did that as a consumer. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. Um, I was interested in my last podcast episode, I had cited uh, the Centurion did a study about what were the most popular items in for retailers over the holidays. And the top two categories were diamonds, as you said, I mean, diamonds are forever going to be a popular gift, but then also luxury watches. And to me, that made sense. I've, I've worked in jewelry retail before, so I know like the attitude people have toward watches. It's like an aspirational status type of thing. But I did get a comment um, that a person was surprised that watches did so well because smartwatches are emerging. Um, and so they were surprised that like analog watches are still a category. What do you have thoughts about that? It was an interesting insight for me. I think, you know, I think both the analog watch, the, the Fitbits and stuff. I think a lot of those, those, um, individuals that would purchase a Rolex would still have one of one of the Fitbits or things to track their wellness. They're probably not going to wear it to like a business meeting or on a zoom call. But, um, I think that they would be interested in purchasing both and the, and those Fitbit ones, they're not very expensive. They're not, they're not, um, you know, desirable. There's a show on Netflix that came out called bling empire. And it's sort of, I started watching it the other day. Oh my gosh. It's like, (laughs) It's not, I mean, it's not high quality TV, but if you want escapism TV, um, but it's kind of like a, like a housewives type of reality format, um, with, uh, Asian culture and their, their love of jewelry brands and watch brands. And there's multiple episodes where they'll showcase a, you know, very high end watch and, oh, this is, this is number eight. And this was a customized. And I think that, for collectors of watches, I think that it becomes because there's so many intricacies of the watch and how it's made and the craftsmanship and, and where it's made. I think that they become aficionados and, you know, just sort of like when people really get into art or wine, I think it's that same kind of mentality they become, or even like high-end shoes, um, or bags, you know, there's just a lot of, um, provenance and, and elitism, not not that, not in a bad way, but there's just some way of that. You have a deeper knowledge and understanding of that. And I think that there's just a real draw to that. Yeah. It is so funny that you mentioned Bling Empire because I was literally just watching it and I was noticing the watches that they were wearing in it. So I think we're on the same page here. Um, And I, Oh my gosh. Oh my God. The jewelry is crazy. (laughs) I mean, they name drop like Boucheron and Jar and I'm like, okay, these people know, you know, their jewelry. They, and they want like high, high end, um, Piaget was mentioned in it. Yeah. So it's, if you're a lover of jewelry, you know, and you want an escapism type of show, it's a great, it's a great show for that. (laughs) I love it. So can you give me examples of brands that were doing really well in their holiday market? Marketing. What are some um, campaigns that really inspired you or that you see as like a gold standard moving forward in 2021? 
Yeah. I think the brands that were doing it well, were doing a couple like things in general. Like I can give some examples of brands, but, um, just the general things are, they were doing digital advertising because quite frankly, when I was scrolling on Instagram and looking at stories and then something would pop up, I would start, you know, I'd go look at their page. And then eventually a lot of times it was clicking to buy, especially because I really made a point to try to shop local or shop, shop small, um, in some capacity. So like if there was a female founder or some, some story that I could learn from or help contribute, I was really into that. So I think the brands that did well were using that, but they were also voicing in an inauthentic way, you know, cancel, cancel, uh, what's it cancel culture is real. And, you know, the, the companies that really stand by their principles and their values, and they make that very clear as to what their values are. I think that they did, you know, it really stands out on social media and the ones had really great social media in general. And then if they started their campaigns early, that was helpful. I think because we knew shipping was going to be an issue. Yep. And I think when they actually in their messaging really addressed the things that would a consumer would be concerned about before making a purchase. So shipping times, um, shipping costs, because, you know, we're kind of used to Amazon prime, um, even targets free. So when there's a cost, I'm like, I'm open when it, but it, it does bug me when I, when I go to transact for anything over $50, it kind of bugs me that I have to pay shipping. Um, I'm just like, build it into the price. Like, I don't want, like, I, I don't know. I just kind of, as a consumer, it kind of irritates me because anyways, but, um, I, so I think the ones that did it well were really clear as to what they were offering. Um, they were also refreshing their homepage. They had lots, they had, um, the chat bot so that if I had a question, they could answer it very quickly also. And I say this all the time and I, I don't understand how e-commerce brands are not there yet, but especially in jewelry, it needs to be worn by a person. You have to see the scale. There's so many times a beautiful product shot, which you should still have those, the white background product shots, but you should see, like be able to understand how it is going to look. Um, different skin types is really important too. And, you know, diversity in their ads and, and things like that. So I think those, you know, those are kind of, I feel like they're obvious, but you know, you, you can forget. I also would say what I was surprised by for online shopping. And I thought, Hey, people, you had all of pandemic to get ready for this were when you checked out, you couldn't make a gift. Like you couldn't click and say that it was a gift and then write a note. So there was times where I actually, had spent time searching the site, got to check out, realized I wouldn't. And I was like, I don't have time to do this. So I'm sending something and I'm kind of like to a client or something. I'm like, I don't want them to see the price. I don't, please don't send the invoice. So I had to message those, those people. Hey, I just made it in order. Is there any way that you could add a gift note or blah, 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 blah. So I think that's a huge opportunity. And the brands, there was a, there was one brand they're like, I'm sorry, we didn't have this optimized. Um, we, and they wrote a personal note for, from me and we communicated via, I think like Facebook messenger. So I think that's something that made a brand stand out. Um, Super Goop is a beauty brand and they kind of specialize in mineral and um, skincare types of products. And I just needed a product from them and their shopping was just so seamless. Their photography is beautiful. It was very easy for me to figure out from my skin tone, what product I needed. They had a whole survey and they just made it really integrated. They also caught me with, you know, to get the 15% discount, sign up for their thing. So I'm getting text messages from them probably weekly. It's probably a little too much, <laughs> but I am thinking about them, you know? So yeah. I think that they, and they, and they do really beautiful text message notice notices about products that are on sale and things like that. Um, I have a client still novel. They do photo print, uh, infographic photo prints, and they do because it's so customized and personalized, they did a great job of whenever someone purchased the product and they posted about it, they re-shared it, but they they used their own graphic treatment on social media and it just really made me, and I already own one, but it like made me want to buy more. Um, 
I think Delta Airlines, you know, people aren't really traveling, but they've done a really good job of engaging and talking about and speaking to their customers and, and extending miles and, and sharing, you know, the things. So I could probably go on and on about like all the great things, but, um, you know, there's it clarity. Um, I wrote some quick notes, but shipping quick check out, I think also gaming, um, meaning like add incorporating, you know, your product infusing it into other gaming apps or you know there's there's all these like things that the younger generations especially if you're kind of a a a bridge or early price point type of fine jewelry company where your product could get placed on popular pop culture games and things like that there's ways to integrate that and i think you know that's helpful for targeting that younger market interesting i'm like my the wheels are spinning in my brain as you're talking and I'm like, oh my God, yes. Uh, uh, no, I just want you to keep talking, but in my head, I'm like, whoa. I so know. A hundred percent agree with everything you said. And if I, w- if I were to add anything, one thing that was super annoying to me over the holidays in my own purchases was having issues with discount codes and like needing to reach out to a brand to make sure that I could get a discount that I wanted because I had a code that I thought would apply. And it sounds like you're much more patient than me. Like you reached out to the brands and, you know, had them resolve it. But like, I don't sometimes don't want to wait for a response or wonder like, is this brand act, are they actually going to write back to me? Especially if it's a smaller business, like I need to make sure I'm going to get this on time. Like I don't have time to deal with codes not working. So one suggestion, and this is something that comes up a lot um, with my clients and discounting. It's like, you might, unless a code has a specific purpose, like you're using it to track a certain campaign, you might actually want to consider offering like an automatic discount at checkout because Shopify enables that because anything that could potentially go wrong, like even if you triple check your code, there's like always a possibility that it might not work for the customer. That's an obstacle from them adding to cart to checking out and anything that's making it difficult is a chance that you're going to like lose that customer. So that whole like discounting strategy to me kept coming up over the holidays. And it's just something I think brands should think about more strategically in the future. Absolutely. I think it makes, it makes it so much more seamless if the discount is automatically put in there, because for me, like I will find a discount or, um, you know, see something and, or sign up for the newsletter and get that information. And then I go, I shop, I put everything in the cart, I go to checkout, then I got to go hunt for the codes. Then I got to go back. Then all of a sudden I've checked my email. So now I've left that cart for a little while. And then all of a sudden I go back onto Instagram and I'm like, Oh, I didn't finish. And I, I like ADD shop. (laughs) And, and so I sometimes like forgot to like, there was a couple times I thought that I actually checked out and I, I didn't check out. And it was strictly because I was going back to find that code yep. and had that code just been integrated right in, I would have, it just would have been so much quicker and they would have got that transaction. And then it also, there was like one time where I forgot to f- complete the transaction. Then I realized like, Oh, it's going to be too late. I won't get the product in time. So, you know, it is a really important factor. I think if I was going to describe my per like personal, like, um, shopping, like my dream journey as a customer (laughs) and I'm, you know, it would start on Instagram. Um, like personally, I'm like, I'm looking for, my sister's going to be getting married. So I'm looking for, um, dresses and, I have like a very strict vision, but I have these high-end designers that I just can't afford. So I would love to find an indie designer that has something complimentary that, you know, is in my price range. So I've been using Instagram and searching like long tier dresses in blush uh, with tulle and lace, like really specific terms. I find things and then I click to the side or I look at their thing. And ideally I could then go click and, and see it on the site. One thing that really is hard is when you, or especially if there's a sale on a pro, like something that you've seen on Instagram and you go to the site and then it shows you all the sale items and then you click your size. Cause you know, okay, I'm a medium or I'm whatever I'm this, you know, size X, Y, Z like 
if it still brings up things and it's sold out, I, it's so infuriating. I mean, I, I feel like I wasted a lot of time going through, cause this one designer brand, which was like my dream dress, they actually had a 70% off sale because I had been looking at them. They retargeted. That's another key. Make sure you, you have a retargeting strategy. They kept retargeting me on Instagram. I finally went on and I started to go. And then I searched and they ne- they didn't have any dresses left in my size, like in all of the dresses they had. I mean, I, I really couldn't find any. And I, I gave that a good hour. I don't hate the brand, but I just hate the way that they had that optimized. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Uh, that kind of issue, I feel, you know, for a smaller brand, it might be difficult to like implement the solution or the technology to fix that, but it's something like that is worth investing in because that is disrupting your customer journey and can be the difference between a customer you have for a very long time versus someone who's just frustrated with you and doesn't want to look at your site ever again. Cause who wants to waste an hour of their time, like looking for something that they want? Yes. And I think it's really key that you make sure all of your meta tags in your site and all of your searchability and your descriptions are pretty clear so that not that everyone's going to read your descriptions of your products, you know, over to, to the final degree, maybe they will, but at least, so if you are searching key terms, like I want to buy a necklace that says like, go, you know, boss. And you, you go and you click boss. Like, I want to see those necklaces. I don't want to have to keep digging and looking and, and trying to figure out what category it's listed in. And I think it's just, again, it's so helpful if there's like product shots, a couple different angles. And if there's a video that like sells. I, I bought a dress from a company called sister Jane in the UK. It was a super seamless product. I kept seeing them on Instagram. I finally, they had a sale. I boop, 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 boop. And then I knew that dress just by seeing the video, I knew it would fit. Like I knew it, it really, the video will help you eliminate the returns or dis- dissatisfied customers. Cause I have bought stuff and been very shocked how small it is, especially in jewelry. Like, oh, yeah. and sometimes it's the opposite. Oh, wow, that's huge. I was really thinking it was going to be more dainty. And so it's so important that you have those visual assets to support your sale because they're not in store it, to the degree that they once were. Yeah, such great points, especially what you said earlier about the on-model photography. It's also shocking to me how many brands don't have the on-model photos, how they are not taking the time to really feature and showcase all of their inventory on Instagram on models. I personally, when I shop, even if I start on an e-commerce site, I almost always cross-reference Instagram to see like, do they have other pictures of this on models or like in a more uh, like casual kind of way so that I can really see how this looks. And there are so many brands that aren't doing that. And I would go so far as to say, like, if you're an emerging jewelry brand right now, that's e-commerce only. If you don't have the funds to invest in model photography, or that's not something in your like launch strategy, like just stop. Like, honestly, like don't even bother because it's so essential. And like you said, it, it will help you save money in the long run because you will probably reduce your return rate. You will, you know, shorten the customer journey because customers won't have to like agonize so much about making the purchase because they'll see it more clearly. Like, yes, it's a photography video, huge investments, but you have to think about it as the long game. You know, if you're not going to invest in the actual physical brick and mortar store, that's, you know, take that money and put it into your media assets because they're everything. Absolutely. It's so worth it. And I think if you're really, you know, you're really in a money bind and you can't afford the high-end photographer. I mean, our phones are pretty remarkable these days. So you shoot them on yourself. Um, you know, I do see like actually pretty established brands where the founder of the company is often the one who's modeling the product and wearing the product and speaking about it and doing Instagram lives and, and it's effective. I've actually, I got suckered into, there was, um, it's a fashion brand. It's called, uh, Melinda Maria jewelry. It's, yep. it's, uh, I followed it too. <laughs> I, one night I was, you know, a couple, like a glass of wine in that I like came across. I watched one of her things. I was kind of thinking of it from a marketing perspective, but then I really got engaged. She was doing a live and she brings on her customers and she does a raffle and 
you know, and then, but she's showing the product. She's, she's teaching you in such an organic way and such an engaging way. And you can tell she just absolutely loves interacting with her customers. And then she gifts them a bunch of products. She helps them style it. And it's all on Instagram live. And honestly, like I converted, (laughs) I bought a whole bunch of pieces from her. And so, you know, I think that's, it really does work when you are speaking to your customer. And even if you can't afford the big, I mean, she has model photography too. She does really great marketing in general, but, um, you know, and she was also responsive. I tagged and said I was wearing her piece and, you know, someone from the team. And I, I actually like this. Someone from the team wrote in Instagram DM, like, Hey, thank you for sharing this. Um, we love it. XO Tony from the social media department or whatever it was, but I liked kind of that. It was, I knew I was talking to Tony, but you know, I'm sure if I had gotten into a deeper conversation, she might've been looped into it. And I think that's really, I think, that's the reality of the way that we're living our digital communication lives. And you being quick on DM is so important for social media and for e-commerce business. Like one of the number one things. hundred percent agree with you. Um, another example, are you familiar with the brand, the last line? Mm-hmm. So Shelly, the founder, I mean, that was ultimately what got me so interested in that brand. I, I kind of use it as like an ongoing case study in my head of like what they're doing. Um, right. I mean, they're scaling now, so it's not so much her in front of the social media, but all of her like ear party things, like she was out there, like showing how she was styling it kind of like Melinda Maria. She is like a busy mom entrepreneur. Like she has a messy real life. And like, it was admirable to me to see like how she was so engaged and active and like passionate about what she was doing. And those things go so far. Yes. I think, yeah, I think, I mean, from a product standpoint, whatever, but like, you know, like just taking product out of it from a marketing standpoint, those two brands have crushed it. Like in, in with engagement with their audience, you know, Stephanie Gottlieb and yep. um, the ring concierge have done a fantastic job of using their social digital communication strategy. Um, I always say that I've said it probably like a million times though, but I always say it's called social media. It's not called media media. So you're not just talking. Yes. It's party. We're socializing. And I think brands have to remember that when they're thinking of their, their, um, their communications within the social realm. I totally agree. I was actually just talking about this last week on my podcast that it's called social for a reason. And I mean, I know that not everyone was on like Instagram and Facebook when those two platforms first came out, but if you were, and you can remember more of what that experience was like. I know that those platforms have evolved so much. They are more marketing tools than actual like connection tools, but everyone should strive to get back to that like original purpose because it's still there. It's in the mission of those platforms. It's like the reason they exist. So if you can like bring some of that flavor back into what you're doing today, I think ultimately that's, what's going to help you be successful. Exactly. And in the world of marketing, never before has a company been able to directly engage with their consumers on a daily basis, the way that social media has made that possible. And we know that social media has its challenges too. Like we know that we know it's politically divisive. We know that you could make a misstep in something that you put out on social media and get a lot of flack and, and, you know, um, hate, you know, and stuff. An example of it is there's a, I don't even know if I should say like the names, but there was in the bridal industry, a very like high-end bridal uh, retailer who sells multiple designer lines. And they had a um, falling out with the design, one of their key designers who's quite famous. And she did an Instagram video and she's got a huge social media following. And she explained like how her contract that she had signed when she was very young, you know, took away her name. So she can't use her old social media account and they own all these rights and all of this stuff. And, um, they, so on their social media, they got a lot of flack, um, from their customers and they just kept repeating legal gargle, like 
legal statements like over and over again, the same ones it's to address all the things. And they, I don't even think they've made a post. This happened in early December and they haven't even made a post since then. It was horrible. Like it was just cringeworthy. And I was messaging one of the top bridal editors at the knot saying like, wow, like, and there's, we're like blown away that, that this could even exist. Like, how can they not read your customers? They're like, I'll never buy from you. I mean, it's just astounding. And that's where social media can, is a double-edged sword. But if you really do it right and you address and you take ownership and you are authentic and you stick to your core company values. I don't think everyone, every company as a company, you have to address every single social political issue that's out there. I don't think that's needed. I think you have to see how it ties to your company specifically, and then, you know, make your plan from there because it cancel culture is real and you can really, you know, not help. It, it can really tarnish your, your business. Hundred percent agree with everything. I hadn't heard about that story with the bridal brand. That's very interesting and also terrible and sad. Yeah, I don't want to like name names. I'll I'll uh, message you after. People can DM me if you want me to tell you who it is. Um, but yeah, I just it was like I I kind of look at that. I like to see actually. I really love to see comments and that is probably a huge value, like a huge value of social media is the comments. You know, it's great to get the likes, but it doesn't tell you a whole lot about your target customer. It tells you that like visually you did it right. You timed it right. And that kind of thing. But when they comment and say like, I absolutely love that ring. What size is it? What's, um, you know, how big is it? What's the millimeter? You know, when they're asking really specific questions, like purchasing questions, or, you know, is this ethically sourced? Is this, um, you know, what's the process? What's the ship times? That's another thing. You got to be clear on your ship times. And I know it's really hard when you're dealing with third parties, but just, you know, explaining to your customers, especially if your pieces are made to order, you know, explaining what that means, because if they don't understand it, they may pass and go back to a, a retailer that can deliver on demand, but they're not going to get that special made to order, you know, specifically for you, um, experience. And so I think if you can educate your customer on what your process is and where you source your materials and all of that, that's like, it's part of that whole transparency and it really does help drive a business. Absolutely. It was such a pleasure to be able to talk to Jen and learn more about her insights into e-commerce and the jewelry industry at large. If you'd like to learn more about Jen and her services, visit jencullenwilliams.com. As always, you can always email me too with your questions, comments, and feedback. That's Larissa, L-A-R-Y-S-S-A at joyjoya.com. And my new book, Jewelry Marketing Joy, is available and ready to ship. You can visit joyjoya.com book to learn more about it and to order a copy for yourself. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about marketing services for your jewelry brand, visit joyjoya.com where you can download our free ebook, Proven Conversion Strategies for E-Commerce Jewelry Retailers.